The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We are now going to uh, turn to 1 Corinthians. If you don't have a Bible, we've got them in the back, but I'm going to have all the verses on the screen. Um, here's the thing. We are going through this sermon series through the book of 1 Corinthians called um, Good News for Bad Christians, right? So that's a banner over here. Um, good News for Bad Christians because we all struggle to follow Jesus, um, and we all come in a big hot mess, and we need his help. And um, the good news is that Jesus is not surprised by that. He's not bothered by it, and he's actually eager to walk beside us. And so um, what we've been doing is we've been just working through the book of 1 Corinthians chapter by chapter, and we started out in chapters 1 and 2, seeing the centrality of the gospel and in, in, in how it was helping the church there, the Corinthian church, um, understand that they were all about like their hype priests and all their hype guys that they wanted. Like they, get, they had their American Idol back then. It wasn't called American Idol. It was called Corinthian Idol or whatever it was, you know, and they'd all vote for those guys and who their big teachers were. And then as we worked through chapters three and four, we saw that not only do those not give us um, happiness and joy, but actually Jesus frees us from having to manage our identity. And then in chapter five and six, we were, we were looking at um, if our identity is in Jesus, he gets to define who's in the family and what does it look like to work out the hard stuff of our family life together in Jesus. And we looked at that in five, chapters 5 and 6. And we're picking up here in chapter 7. And um, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray for us before we get into this chapter because we're going to actually turn this little chapter into a bit of a mini-series for us. And um, so I'm going to pray for us before we start looking at this together. So let's pray. Father, as we... We look at this chapter together, um, and we begin to talk about uh, the intimate areas of our lives, um, sex and gender, and all these things, our relationships. I pray that you would direct our eyes to you, the one true God who loves relationships and loves people and loves men and women and loves to dwell with us. So I pray that you would help us to embrace what it means to be men and women, renewed by Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen. So this morning we are beginning in 1 Corinthians. Actually, what we're going to do is we're not going to read very much from this chapter, but this chapter is all about sexuality and gender in their culture and, frankly, um, as it relates to our culture. Um, here's what I'm, I'm not going to do. I'm not interested in talking about public policy. I'm not interested in talking about um, bathroom discussions or political debates. We're not going to talk about any of that. Um, I have no interest in giving any commentary on that stuff. What I'm interested in is understanding how has God designed us as men and women, and how does that flesh itself out? What does that look like to be men and women who love Jesus? Because um, that's what this chapter is all about, right? If you just read chapter 1, or, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, or 7, sorry, the big numbers are the chapter numbers, the little numbers are the verse numbers. 1 Corinthians 7, 1, now concerning the matters about which we wrote, is it good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman? You immediately see that Paul is just bold-faced putting his hand on a third rail, <laughs> right? He's just like, I'm going for it, let's have the discussion, and that's what we're going to do um, as we look through this chapter. By the way, I just want to give a heads up for parents. And if this is a topic that you would rather your kids not be a part of, uh, but next week is going to be more about um, sexual stuff. Uh, we're not going to get graphic or anything like that. But um, 
we uh, will open our children's ministry room just a little bit older if you'd like them to be in that instead. But this morning, we just want to go to this chapter and say, okay, before we get into the details of 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul is just going to get right in the mess. I love him, man. He feels like a guy from Boston who's just like, let's just have this discussion and boom, go right for it. And uh, before we get into those details, we're actually going to jump back into the very beginning of the Bible in the chapters one through three, because that's the stuff that Paul has in his mind as he's talking about sexuality, gender, and all that. So we're going to, what we're looking at is this, this, um, this chapter is going to turn to many series. Can we throw up the next slide here? This mini-series, I'm just going to, for goodness sake, sexuality, gender, and relationships that please God. And the where, just so you guys kind of track with me where I'm getting this from is, you see this, this word here in the very, very beginning of chapter 7, verse 1, is it good? Right? He asks, they, they ask this question. They probably wrote this letter to Paul, said, hey, Paul, here's a list of things that we're teaching or wondering. And they ask, is it good? And that little word is um, a Greek word called chaos. Chaos means good. Um, and it's actually, it means a little bit more than that. It's not only good, kind of like, um, how are you feeling today? Good. <laughs> no, it's actually, is it good? Does it, does it please God? Is it a way, it's designed in a way where like, you know, if you watch um, a great baseball game and man, like last night, what is it? 15 to three or whatever, the Red Sox killed it. Like, man, that was just a good, it was just pleasing. It just gives you joy to watch it, right? I love to watch them demolish whoever it is they're playing. It just pleases you, right? God has designed sexuality, gender, and relationships to please him. And what does it mean for us to enjoy that with him? And so that's where, so when Paul hears that question from them, in his mind, he immediately goes back to Genesis 1 through 3 because actually we're going to see that that word is used in Genesis 1 through 3 to describe how God created the world. And um, this is a bit on my mind as well because yesterday we went to this, um, so I, uh, me and uh, nine other of our hearty, robust, feminine, Jesus-loving women went to a conference yesterday. I was like, this is my posse of girls, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> they're not all my wives, right? So we don't do that. <laughs> but these are all my, this is my posse of girls. And we went to this conference yesterday um, for our, our, with our friends in Acts 29 down in Melrose, Mass. And it was all about women as forces of gospel advance. And so I'm kind of like all fired up about this category um, and really just um, humble to see God's work in not only the women of our church, but as we're just kind of thinking about that category, um, because I think this is a category that matters for us. Um, I don't have to do very much to get our attention on this stuff, do I? <laughs> right? This is in our cultural discussion. And so we're just going to we're just going to dive right in. We're just going to say, okay, God, what do you want to teach us about this category? We're just going to look at the whole chapter as just kind of like a big broad brush. And then over the next four or five weeks, we're going to kind of go chapter section by section through this section to understand how to flesh out sexuality, gender, relationships that honor God. So this morning, we're going to do an overview. We're going to go jump back to Genesis one through three, and then we're going to connect it over to First Corinthians seven. But this morning, we're just going to go with the, the title, "Renewed Men and Women." And this is the main point that we're going to be looking at. We want to embrace how God is renewing us distinctly as men and women in Jesus. That's the main point. We want to embrace how God is renewing us distinctly as men and women in Jesus. So if you are not familiar with the Bible, Genesis is the very beginning, the very first chapter, very first book. And like I said, big numbers of chapters, little numbers of verses. And we're just going to pick up here in chapter one of Genesis 
And we're going to read this and kind of make a few comments about this and then unplug this, unpack this together. We're going to be looking at 1 through 2, Genesis, and we're going to embrace God's good design for men and women. We're going to embrace God's good design for men and women. Can we throw up the next slide there? I'm trying to remember where I start. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image. By the way, before we get too far into this, if the whole creation thing like, kind of like wigs you out and you're like, how do I take that and Jesus and science and all that stuff, Tim Keller's got a great chapter on that in Reason for God. Here's, here's my summary of that whole thing. If you've got a God who can create something out of nothing, then all bets are off of figuring everything out, right? And second point, I wasn't there, so I don't know. So how does this all happen? We're just going to go with the verses as they are. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the, of the heavens and over all livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that, create, that creeps on the earth. Right? So if you get creeped out by bugs, they creep in the verses as well. God created him, that's man, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Right here. Before this, if you're, if you're tracking with this first chapter of the book of Genesis, it's all about day one, God did this and this, end of day one. Day two, God did this or this, end of day two. And all along the way, God's creating these two realities and then saying, this is good, right? These binary things, right? Men, uh, earth, sky, good. Light, darkness, good. Uh, uh, rain in the heavens, ocean, water down below, both good. They complement and they go together. And it's good. There's actually not only the good that they go together, but it's actually, it honors God that there's boundaries between them, right? There's boundaries that he created. So there's, if you ever think about like, um, when you're trying to teach your kids, like, don't touch this, and they touch it, right? And you're like, oh, that's just because they're like horrible people. <laughs> no, actually, boundaries are good. God designed the world to have boundaries in it, designed the boundaries in Eden. But more important than that, even, it ends, here, verse 27, God created them in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them, right? The unified term man is designed to cover both male and female. They're both created with authority and dignity and value and worth. And then we're going to pick up here verse 28. What does God do? He blessed them, right? He didn't say, hey, Adam, come here. Um, I want to give you something special. Uh, Eve's, she's going to be a real problem. But buddy, I got, I got a job description for you. No, no. He calls both Adam and Eve to himself. It says, God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish and over the sea and over the birds and over the heavens, over every living thing that moves on earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You, have, you shall have them for food and, every, and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps in the earth. Everything. Are you picking up the everything word here? Everything that has, to, has breath of life. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was what? Very good. It wasn't just very good. It was very chaos. That word from 1 Corinthians 7, it was very, very, very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And you notice God does not call Adam and Eve and say, hey, listen, um, I want the guy to call all the shots. I want Adam. Adam, you're in charge with all the shots. And Eve, you just better do what he says. You better do it right away. No, he dignifies both men and women. He says, you both 
have this mission. You both have this calling. You both are designed. You're created to enjoy who I've made you to be and to enjoy this mission and enjoy it together and to make much of my name, right? That, that, that fill the earth language, right? Basically, God said, um, here's, a little, here's a little patch of earth that I want you to be in, and then I want you to make the whole earth like Eden, right? So they had a huge gardening mission, right? So you can imagine if you ever like, oh, if you ever like done like gardening or property or anything like that, where you're like, I'm going to plant some fruit here, and I'm going to need to do some construction work there. That's what Adam and Eve were done, and they were given it, okay, now do the whole earth, <laughs> they got to make some babies to make that thing happen, right? Um, but picking it up, right? So you see, they were made good, very good. That's the only time that God uses that word, very good. And then, before sin enters the world, there's something that's not good. Pick up over in verse 18, chapter 2. Then the Lord said to him, then the Lord God said, it is not good, not chaos, not good, that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And he's going to go on and tell a story of basically doing a, uh, a walkthrough of the zoo and naming all the animals, right? Adam was the first one to walk through the zoo and write all those little name tags for all of them. But the more important part is that the, what is not good is that man is alone, right? Aloneness was not um, good. It was not good for man to be isolated. And so what does he do? He says, I'm going to make a helper fit for him. Now, what about this word helper? What is going on with that? Because that mean, does that mean guys are the ones who have got all the responsibilities and that God made women to just be like the help, right? No. It's not a word of inferiority, right? You know why? Because the same word that's used here to describe help is used to describe God himself, right? So over in Psalm 54, 4, behold, God is my helper, the Lord is the upholder of my life, right? Is saying something about the dignity and value and the way in which God extends our life, right? So that's the way he's talking about women. Women are designed to be extenders of life. They're designed to extend, but it's not a word that, um, that, that means that women depend on men to get their identity, right? That's the other part of it, right? So it's not like, oh, you're just the help or demeaning. Ray Ortland has this way of describing it. Can we throw this quote up here? Ray Ortland out in Nashville. I love this guy. The woman was made to compliment and support the man and to strengthen the exertions for God in this world. The man needed a companion like himself, and yet unlike himself, as the friend and ally he could absolutely depend on. Right? There is something about the way God has designed men and women to complement each other that they could not do their work or accomplish what God has designed them for alone. They, they can't do it alone. Um, there is a mission, right? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, take dominion over it, right? Make it all like Disney World. <laughs> Get it all under control. Make it all beautiful. They can't do it alone. There's the ways in which God designed men to be proactive. There's designed, God's designed men, women to be nurturing. And none of those depend, like, somehow Eve was subhuman until she was connected with Adam. Or Adam was subhuman until he was connected to Eve. Matthew Henry, this Puritan, described this event this way. Because if you remember the story, right? Let's pick up before we get to that. Verse 21, the Lord caused deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. 
So this is the moment, right? This is the moment where God, the Bible describes men and women being created different and distinct. And this is how Matthew Henry describes this. The woman was made out of a rib, out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. This is how God designed men and women, to fit together, to function, to enjoy each other, to be distinct, unique, equal. Right, this is, remember, just kind of calling back to, from 1 Corinthians 7, 1. Is it good that a man not have sexual relations with a woman? Paul is just seeing that as a chauvinistic question, right? That somehow women are the problem. How many women in this room, in one way or another, have been led to believe that they are the problem? And here God starts out his whole book saying, you are designed and cherished and treasured by the Lord of the universe for being a woman. Right? In fact, actually, the guy's the one made out of the dirt. <laughs> Women are the ones who we might say are doubly refined. <laughs> right? They're des- we're designed to complement each other. Here is a few things I just want to draw from that as we kind of work through this. Femininity and masculinity. Right? Adam and Eve are designed to respond to and complement each other, but they're distinct, equal, and different. Femininity is designed for women in the sense that God has designed women to nurture, be nurturers and life givers. Right? I'm not going to get too prescriptive on what that means because I, I kind of want to leave this as a broad category for us to think through. Men, men are designed, masculine are designed to be providing and protecting, right? You see this just in, in terms of just like physical strength. Men are just physically stronger. Does that mean that they can use that to dominate over women? No. And I'll report you to the police if you do. Masculinity is designed to provide and protect. Femininity is designed to nurture and be life-giving, right? That's the way our bodies are designed, right? Men and women's bodies are designed differently to match with this gender. God designed sexuality and gender, and he has invited us to embrace it. It's good, right? When we engage this category, I, I feel it myself, so I just want to acknowledge the fear and, acknowledge and engage in this category. There's a cultural fear that comes with engaging this category for whatever reason, but it's good. Like, this is a, God designed men and women different, unique, equal, to complement each other, and it's good that way. Like This is something that God's designed with our physical world, our physical bodies, for something to be enjoyed and delighted in. It's good that God created us different, but I also want to say, we're not talking about the stereotypes, right? <laughs> if anybody knows me and Michelle, right? So Michelle is um, uh, incredibly practical, logical, and has zero interest in home decor. <laughs> Who do you think is the person in our marriage that cares about the home decor, right? It's me, right? Between Michelle and I, you know, stereotypically, women are, are like, you know, emotional and crying. In my marriage, I will, I will cry at the drop of a hat. And Michelle, like, I can count on one hand the number of times she's cried in our marriage. Like, it is not, like, it, this is not about stereotypes of how men and women, oh, men, you know, we, we smoke cigars, we lift weights, and we do all these manly, manly things. And women, you know, they, they do like knitting and doilies and all this stuff on the side. And it's like, that's not the way God says, that's not what we're talking about, right? 
I, you know, when I think about like life giving, just like man, women, I just that just just blow me away with how like how great they I, I, being nurturers and life givers. Well, first of all, I, I think of um, Rachel Witzinger, like our, our deacon of Compassion Ministries, right? Rachel, I mean, is just like gung ho about protecting and providing, nurturing, giving life to children who are in sex slavery in Thailand, right? That category, the reason she cares about that, nurturing their life, giving them value, helping them grow and flourish, because she is a feminine woman who loves to put all of her feminine, robust strength behind valuing the life of these children, right? Or you think about, and it doesn't matter if you're married or single, right? This came up in our conference yesterday. How do, how do we live out femininity? Um, I'm not me. You, women living out femininity, whether you're married or single, because typically when we talk about femininity and living, being a woman, we beeline right to mom, motherhood, those categories, right? Mom and motherhood and being a wife are subsets of being a life giver and nurturer, right? But I think about like, who's a feminine woman who is single, was a life giver, was a nurturer, right? I think of Mother Teresa, bro, she was powerful too, right? I mean, you're talking about a woman who is like, like what, like five foot tall, who cared for the, the most despised and afflicted people in the world and would sit at the table with presidents and shame them with her words. <laughs> so we're not talking about like being like weak and docile women versus like robust men. We're talking about feminine and masculine identities that live themselves out to bless and flourish the world around us, Right? Mother Teresa, was she powerful? Yes. Feminine? Yes. Masculine? No. Good? Absolutely. You see, the, the reality is that what we're looking at here, these first two chapters, is that our bodies are made to tell us how God has designed us to enjoy him, to f- join him, to flourish. Basically, our bodies do not lie to us. And I know this is a hard category to get into. There was, a cat, there was a moment in the conference yesterday where a woman raised her hand and she was like, I know I'm not a very feminine woman, so how do I live this out? And I appreciated the pushback on that was, God has made you a woman and therefore made you to be feminine. And so you're going to live out an expression of that that is unique to your womanhood. Right? It's not stereotypes. We're, t- we're not talking about that. So for men as well, right? We're not talking about men being a certain machismo type of thing or whatever. We're not talking about stereotypes. Our bodies tell us a great deal about how God has wired us and made us to advance his mission and enjoy him. So here's, I, I wanna, I'm going to close this category up with a few thoughts and then we're going to move on because for real, I've cut this sermon down like by half. Like I just want you to know, like if you feel like, well, it's getting really kind of long. No, like I wanted to say a lot about this and we're kind of constricting it. We want to celebrate our differences and not begrudge or hate them. We want to celebrate men. God has designed us as men and women to celebrate it. So if you're married, celebrate and enjoy God's way he's made your spouse, masculine and feminine. If you're single, enjoy that God has made you to be a man or a woman and express masculinity or femininity wherever you are in whatever station of life you're in. And if you are single or married, enjoy the masculine and feminine men and women in your life, in this church, and which is not begrudge it, right? It's just not be kind of like, oh, those women, they all go off in a little huddle to the bathroom and have whatever little women conferences they have in there and they kind of do their thing. 
bro, women are designed to be nurturing and life-giving. Like, little huddles of women is like nat natural to women, right? Men, we could learn from that, right? Let them nurture us and becoming more community-oriented, right? We could keep going down the list. I'm just afraid that sometimes our effort to talk about how women relate, it seems like we emphasize the differences rather than the goodness of our design. Right? We want to embrace how we're designed, and we want to engage how God has made us to be men and women, masculine and feminine, to join his mission. All right, we're going to move on. We're going to pick up here Genesis 3. It's all been good, 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 good. And now the bad news is going to start coming in, right? Here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to give this in a little bit of like a brief overview, so just for the sake of our time. But let's see, what are the verses I put up here? Can we go on to the next slide? I forget. Okay. Did I not put a next slide in? Well, the next category is embracing Christ's atoning love for men and women. I don't know if that's in there. There we go. This is not the slide guy's fault. This is my fault. So what happens is God's created men and women. He has brought them into Eden. He has made them to, to know and enjoy, to be masculine and feminine, to enjoy what that means together. And then what happens? A snake comes in. He talks, right? A talking snake comes in the story. If you ever kind of like, man, how can God be as cool as the TV shows that I watch? Look, he started the book out with a talking snake. I mean, come on. How much cooler can you get? Snake comes in. And what happens? He talks to the woman. The woman talks to the guy. They eat the fruit and they die internally. But I just want you to recognize the way that sin enters into the story is by reversing the created order, right? The created order is God created man, created man, pulled woman out of his side, created woman. They're supposed to rule and have dominion over the whole earth. Sin comes in and reverses that and begins to kind of pull back, say, God, the way you designed this is not okay, right? Goes to the woman. Woman independently makes his decision. Goes to the man. He fails at his job. And then sin enters the world, and the whole thing's jacked up forever. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying women are to blame. That's not what the story's saying. Because it's not saying that... Um, what, what the story's saying is that when Eve takes the bait from the, from the serpent, right? The serpent comes and says, hey, why don't you eat this fruit? Like, it's good. What she does, she makes a decision independent of the man. Now, what I'm not saying is that she's stupid and she couldn't have made that decision on her own. What I'm saying is that men and women are designed to complement and be interdependent between each other. And they should have worked that out. And if she had gone to Adam, well, this is where the story gets weird, right? Adam apparently is standing right there, and he fails at his job. She makes a decision independent of Adam. Adam doesn't step in. What Adam should have done... Um, here's somebody who's trying to defy the design of God, the good creation of God, and he should have cut the serpent's head off right there and then. Killed it, gotten rid of it, but he didn't. Adam failed at his call to protect and provide for Eve, his call to leadership, his call to defend God's good design. And so it happens here. That, that, that's the story of how the fall happens. They both defy God's good design it breaks them inside, and yet they're still alive, so they're eternally dying. But God comes on the scene, right? So not only does God create everything good, I want you to enjoy this. Now they've wrecked it, and now they're like any kid trying to hide the evidence, right? And God shows up, calls them to account, and he issues out the punishment. And here's where the story takes maybe a different turn. 
Because what does God do in the midst of how he lays out the consequences? Right? To the serpent, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, anybody who's coming here this morning for a big, for a big theology lesson, here's a big theology term for you, proto-evangelion. You guys want to get that word down? Right here, I can spell it off for you. It is spelled, got to keep up on my notes, P-R-O-T-E-V-A-N-G-E-L-I-U-M. Here's your big theology term for the day, proto-evangelion. Um, what that means is the early echoes of the gospel. Because here he has said what? I will put enmity between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the first expression of the gospel because it's saying, my people, God is saying, my people have failed. They've broken my design. Um, sin is the, is the cause of that. But here's the thing. I'm going to give them somebody who's going to destroy you. But you're going to bruise them in the process. Does that sound like somebody that we know? We just celebrated Easter. Jesus destroys the power of Satan, sin, and death. And what happens to him along the way? He dies in the process of destroying Satan, sin, and death. But he is the one who's victorious. He rose on a Sunday morning, broke over, and killed death. Right? When Jesus breathed in life into his lungs, he broke the power of death that, is the, that was caused by this rejection of God's design. So in the midst, as we're talking about sexuality, gender, and relationships, in the midst of all the mess of what Adam and Eve did, God comes in and he says, I'm going to give you somebody that's going to solve the problem. But there's also another verse here. He doesn't just solve the problem. See, there's another, this is the other part of the gospel. Verse 22 of Genesis 3. Then the God said, Behold, um, sorry, verse 20 and 21. The man called his wife Eve because she was to be the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. This is actually the first time in the creation account where something has died. The skins had to come from an animal. The animal had to die to give those skins up. Those skins made the clothes for Adam and Eve to cover over their sin. That is the gospel. God promises to save us. He says, I'm going to give you somebody to die for what you've done. I'm going to give you somebody that's going to live the perfect life in your place, and then his life is going to be counted to you. It's going to cover over everything that you've done, the way you've messed this whole thing up. Whatever it is in your life, he's going to die, he's going to give his life, and his life is going to cover yours. That's the nature of the gospel right there. That, that is the gospel early on. And so then when Paul, can we, so now we're, we're done with Genesis. Can we jump back to 1 Corinthians? So when Paul starts engaging this question, right? So now we're kind of drawing back our attention. 1 Corinthians. Now, concerning all these matters related to sexuality, gender, and relationships. What does Paul do before he engages their question? He, he, he draws our mind, okay, how has God created this world? How has sin affected it? And then how do, we, how do we receive the grace of God? How do we embrace the grace of God to help us? Well, he says here in verse, chapter 6, verse 20, right, right before our chapter, right? Do you not know that your temple is the body, that, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. And now he says, you were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. And then down in verse 23 in chapter 7, he says, 
23, you were bought with a price. Do not become bond servants of men, right? So when Paul starts thinking about, when God tells us, how do we think about sexuality, gender, relationships, he does not start giving us moralistic, like, you guys know what to do. You can only go to dates on Friday nights. You know, you only do it this way. Guy picks up the tab, blah, 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 blah. He doesn't give us moral stipulations like that. He says, here's how God's designed it. Here's how we all experience its brokenness in our lives. But here's what God has done to give us his grace to help us. You were bought with a price, which is the life of Jesus who laid his life down. We saw that back in Genesis 3 because God cares about his people. He's not leaving up to you all the ways in which you have to make up for the ways you feel you failed as a man or a woman. He knows. He's not offended. He cares about you. He's eager to heal you. That is a story of how we get into this whole category of sexuality, gender, and relationships. What was God's good design for sex and gender and relationships? And now we're beginning to see how God has provided for us for him to change us from the inside out. He immediately goes to the cross of Christ. Christ atones for our failures to be men and women, right? That includes all of our sexual sins, all of our gender confusion, all of the relational mess, the hot mess of our relationships around us, all the ways in which divorce and sin have ravaged our lives, difficult relationships, lacking self-control, and all, really, all these things, idolizing, making much of, all those ways God has provided. He says, I know that those things have wrecked our lives. And I want to heal you. And he does it through Jesus. And I, I just want to make sure that we're clear on this, right? This does not just mean all the ways in which we have done bad things. This also means all the ways in which we have refused the good things that God's offered to us. Right? So we're not saying we all need to go back to Victorian sexuality and gender. <laughs> right? Because they were sinful too. They, they were diminishing the goodness of sex. That, that's just, as much as like sexual revolution has idolized the, the, good, the, the goodness of sex, Victorian era, they diminished it. So we're not talking about like, oh, let's go back to an old time. There is every day, every era, some way in which we have refused or idolized God's good design for us. And he has given us Jesus so that we can be forgiven, so we can be freed from the power of those things upon us, and that we can embrace his good design for us in Jesus. Right? Are you guys tracking with what I'm saying here? This is different. This is not discover yourself. This is God knows who you are, and he wants to uniquely redeem you and heal you. And that's actually what we're going to be looking at in, first, in, in chapter 7 here. So we're, we're actually going to kind of pick up now, do a little bit of a scan of 1 Corinthians 7, and then we'll close this thing up. But the way we want to end this is embracing the Spirit's intimate renewal with men and women. Because Jesus died to then renew us in him to be men and women, to embrace the intimate renewal, the Spirit's intimate renewal, men and women. I just want you to invite you to look at chapter 7, verse 7, and we're going to break this down for a real quick second. He says, I wish that all of you were as I myself am. Right? So Paul, well, he was probably a widower. Right? He probably had had a wife who died along the way, and so, but he was single at this, point, at this moment. I wish that you were all as myself am, but each has his own gift from God, 
one of one kind and one of another. So what Paul is saying there in terms of relationships, he's saying, I'm single, and that's God's gift to me by his spirit, but some will be married, and that's God's gift to you by his spirit. And you know that word there, that gift word that we see there? <laughs> I, I highlighted on this, that gift word there. Um, anybody ever heard of charismatics, right? We kind of joke about us being charismatic with a seatbelt here. You know, we're charismatic, we've got our seatbelt on. We're New Englanders, right? So charismatic, that's where this word comes from. That word is actually charisma, right? A gift by the Spirit. So what Paul is saying is, when we talk about like charismatic stuff, we're kind of like, uh, how do we pray in tongues? You know, shamala, shamala. How do we get prophetic words? The Lord says to you, those are all gifts from the Spirit. Healing, prayer, administration. God, give us more spiritually gifted administrators in this church. But he also says broad categories. If you're married, that's a spiritual gift. If you're single and celibate, that's a spiritual gift. That is what God has called you to. That is something that he had designed for you. And those are basically the two categories, right? Two categories of the Bible, celibate and single, married, that's it. But those are both indwelled by the Holy Spirit, right? In Christ, our sexuality, gender, and relationships are all engaged by the Spirit. But he doesn't just leave us there, right? They're not just like, here you go, married, see ya, have fun. Here you go, single, celibate, married, have fun, you know? Pick up verse 23 with me. Oh, actually, let's, let's go. I'll, I'll read from 21. Um, actually, 20. We're, we're making this up on the fly. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. You were a bond servant when, were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. Parentheses. This is one of the main verses that has undermined the historic slave trade in the world. Just want to put that in your eye. Like, put that, point that out to you. Slave trade and the horror of everything involved with that, both historically and, and to this day, this verse is one of the main verses that God has used to absolutely demolish slavery. So, because, he says, human dignity means you should not be enslaved. Right? We'll get into that more when we get there. Just piquing your interest. For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a um, is a free man for, of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called as a bondservant of Christ, you were bought with a price. Right Here's the gospel. Do not become servant, bondservants of men. Don't become slaves of men. For brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him remain. Now, what are these words? Some of the best words in the entire Bible. With God. Paul is addressing a church, much like our own, of people that are just absolutely across the spectrum, right? Relationships, gender, sexuality, all that stuff, it's just all across the board. All had good, bad, horrible experiences, doesn't matter. I've, God is saying, in each of those conditions, he is what? With you. Whatever you're experiencing, whatever, whatever you come into this room and you're thinking, Jacob, if only you knew my story, Jacob, if only you knew this. Jacob, we should talk about this or that. I'd love to talk about those things. After the service, I'll be up here. Let's talk. However those things have affected you. But the thing that he is drawing our attention to is that the Spirit not only has gifted you for your season of life right now, but he is with you in it. Whatever the pains and struggles are, whatever the consequences are, whatever the, the strain and trials are, whatever the joys and pleasures are, whatever that is, 
God is with you in that. So when we talk about sexuality, gender, and relationships, we are not talking about something where God is just like from a mountain on high saying, this is how to do it and get at it because now you guys are frustrating me because you're not doing it. He's down into the mess of our lives. Whatever it is, whatever the questions are, whatever the struggles are that you're coming at this, whatever you're engaging with, right? Because this chapter, right, here's, here's the categories that this chapter engages with. What's the purpose of sex? Why is sex designed for marriage? Should, what should sex in marriage look like? Let's talk about that. What does singleness look like? What does it mean to be single and celibate and fruitful for the Lord? What do relationships look like? How do you, how do you think through the drama of a relationship, specifically between men and women? What do romantic relationships look like? What does it look like to get married to a non-Christian or a Christian? He's asking, he's also bringing up the categories. How do you think about your desires for, for intimacy and marriage in a cultural context where it's really hard, right? He's going to talk about that because at the time there was massive persecution of the early church. And if you got married, it was a real problem for your, for your livelihood and safety. So he talks about that. Then he talks about how do you, what do you, how do you think about your relationships when you can't control yourselves and you just got to get married. He talks about that, right? He talks about um, desires and self-control. He He's not going to talk about every category, but those are the categories we're going to talk about. And those all sound to me, maybe these sound like them to you, of categories of intimate personal care from the Holy Spirit to dwell among us and help us think through what's going on in our lives. Right? That, that, that sounds like what God's talking about here. He is in, inviting us to embrace how God is renewing us distinctly as men and women in Jesus. Right? Because behind all of this is God's good design the wreck of sin in our lives and his pleasure in redeeming us to make us more like Jesus, to embrace how he's designed us. That sounds like a God that I want to work through these things with. I hope he sounds like a God that you want to work through these things with. Right, the invitation of this entire chapter is quite simply this. Embrace how God is renewing us distinctly as men and women, emphasizing this, in Jesus. So let's pray. Lord, as we look at this and we touch this third rail category in our lives, it's certainly a lot of pain and struggle for us. I pray that you would make us to be feminine women who nurture and give life to those around us. That you would make us masculine men who provide and protect the people around us. God, will we be a community of people redeemed and renewed in Jesus that are joyful, that are happy about being men and women, who embrace and enjoy your design for our lives in Jesus. And God, we're grateful that amidst all of this is not some massive law that you laid down upon us, but all the brokenness and sin and hurt of our lives is laid on Jesus, and he walks beside us. Would you turn our hearts to him this morning? In his name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.